so we'd love to have you come and join us for baptisms and barbecue and women's ministry and ice cream and eating and fun, but a special time, especially as we celebrate the three that are being baptized. We're in the midst of this, of this uh, journey. This is week 29, Paul's mission. We've been traveling uh, from Genesis all the way through almost to the end of the book, down 31 weeks, talking about God's story and how it relates to our story. And, uh, and i got to tell you, of, of now the 29 weeks that we have been here, this, I think, has been the most difficult for preparation. We're jamming all of Paul, or the majority of Paul, in this particular week. If you follow along with the readings, and they're printed in your bulletin each week, um, i got to tell you, there is so much material here. And, and already, and we, you know, we finished in 15 minutes, and I think uh, you know, we wanted to hear about Sweden. I'm so glad they're here today. And so I gave them a portion of my time, but I thought, I'm giving them Paul time. Oh, my word, how am I going to get Paul in in the midst of this? You know? And, I mean, Paul, who was Saul, who was a Pharisee, and uh, whose, whose job it was, was to persecute Christians. He has this encounter with Jesus. He meets Jesus in a powerful way. His life is changed. It's, a, it's in the book. You should read it. It's a good story. His life is changed, and the trajectory of his life becomes different. He goes on three missionary journeys, lasting eight to ten years. Um, he, he writes 13 or 14, depending on the commentary that uh, you look at, uh, books of, of our Bible. He is eventually beheaded um, after times in jail and persecution, all for Christ. And you think, how on earth do we tell his whole story? Well, we don't. Lord bless you. Go home. Um, see it for. No, I, I thought we, let's, I found one piece, there are many, but I want to look at one piece of scripture this morning that I think talks about a theme in Paul's life all the way through his writings, all the way through his journeys. And uh, we'll take a look at that this morning. Found in 1 Corinthians. I invite you to turn there. And would you stand for the reading of the word this morning? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 18, says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through the wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble at birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You can be seated. You ever notice that some, some pretty bright people can say some pretty dumb things? You, a couple of you looked at people, and that was a bad thing. You shouldn't have done that. 
Um, sometimes even bright people say, say dumb things. Uh, Bill uh, Gullickson was a baseball player, and he, he got a contract in Japan to go play baseball, and uh, he was being interviewed about what, what is life like in Japan? What, how are you adjusting? How is it working? And, and he said, ah, oh, it's, it's been tough. He said, the, the toughest thing uh, of the whole time together is, is, uh, is the language. He said, I don't understand what they're saying, or, and, and everywhere I go, I can't, I, I can't read anything. He says, in, in all the time I've been here, uh, the only American words I've seen are Sony and Mitsubishi. There is no limit to the foolish things people can say. We are in the middle of political season, after all, right? There is no limit to the foolish things that are around us. I ran across some laws that, are, uh, that govern some churches, some behavior in churches. I thought I'd share a couple of them with you. For example, young girls are never allowed to walk a tightrope in Wheeler, Mississippi, unless it's in church. You can walk a tightrope all you want in church, just not outside. I, I don't know why that is a law. I'm sure there was a reason for it, but I have no earthly idea. Um, in Blackwater, Kentucky, tickling a woman under her chin with a feather duster while she's in church carries a penalty of $10 and a day in jail. I think depending on who you do it, maybe a black eye as well. Uh, Honey Creek, Iowa, no one is permitted to carry a slingshot to church except the police. Well, isn't that comforting to know they're using such great technology? Um, as the slingshot. Finally, I'll, this one. Uh, turtle races are not permitted within 100 yards of a local church anytime in Slaughter, Louisiana. Guinea pig races, no problem. Gambling, drinking, no problem. Turtle races, we draw the line, folks. There's a lot of goofy stuff in the world. There's a lot of foolishness in the world. And you didn't come here this morning finding, uh, not knowing that. You already know that. I think the thing that maybe is the surprising part is that this foolishness also includes you and me. Paul includes us in the foolish. He writes in 26 to 29, Brothers, think of when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards or were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Paul's talking about himself first. He was, a, he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was the guy that went out and persecuted the Christians. And, and then he has this, this dramatic conversion. But, but can, you imagine, can you imagine anyone more unlikely for God to use than the Pharisee Paul? He's out persecuting. He's out doing this stuff that is so against everything that Christ would stand for. And God, in his wisdom, says, yeah, that's the guy I'm going to use. So interesting. But he's not just talking about himself. He's, he's talking about us as well. We are part of the foolish things that he is referring to. He's, he's talking about people who make up the church. Hear it again. Brothers, think of where you were when you were called. You were not wise by human standards or influential or noble of birth. But God chose the foolish things. We're a culture that worships celebrities but it's not the celebrities that God is depending on to change the world. It's not the rocket scientists or the rich or the powerful only. God depends on children's church teachers. God depends on greeters. God depends on small group leaders. God depends on people who, who fill out pledge cards. Good people, not superstars, but responsible, everyday, 
So that's who God is depending on. God uses common, everyday people. And when he, when he depends on the church, he's not depending on the church as some kind of institution. He's depending on you and I, who are the church. That's what Paul is saying when he writes, Brothers, when you were called, you weren't all that wise. When you were called, you, you, you didn't have all that influence. You, you, most of you, weren't noble in birth. But God chooses you. From the birth in a stable in Bethlehem, God starts out with the very bottom of society, with the very ordinary, and that's how God works, through ordinary folk like you and me. We are God's plan for saving the world. We are God's plan for being His hands and feet. God is counting on us. And you, you hear that and you go, huh, me? Aren't you talking about the person about three rows up? Aren't you talking about the church in general? No, I, God is talking about you. You remember last week we talked about the church, that sometimes we think of the church as like this, this nebulous thing that the church ought to do this or the church ought to do that. And we talked about, no, the church is made up of you and me. We are the church. And God has given us a mission. God has given us the mission to be a people who turn the world upside down. You understand, when you, when you begin to think about that, you understand why Paul calls it foolish for the world. For God has chose the church to do his work. Christ started with 12 men and an unknown group of women. And by the time he died, the company was still small. By Pentecost, they, they began to explode. By the time that Paul is preaching to the Corinthians, there are, there are little churches and little outposts all along the Mediterranean. Still, it seems like a huge stretch that Paul says that, that God is going to use this motley crew of powerless people to change the world. And yet it was not long, relatively speaking, before this small crew took over the whole Roman Empire. But as Paul was writing, it probably seemed like great foolishness that God was going to do anything significant with the church. And do you know that there are still people today who think it is foolishness that God is going to do something significant with the church. And the sad part is that some of those folks are in the church. Some don't understand that God's plan all along has been centered on God's people. When I talk to church, I'm not talking about the four walls. I'm talking about the church, those who follow after Jesus. Have you noticed this pattern from the beginning of week one when we started in Genesis? God has been about the business of redeeming his people over and over again. And he has now come and placed that into our hands to be, as Paul says, reconcilers, agents of redemption, to be people who, who live out the faith in front of others. Now, I know that there are silly things that happen in the church. I, I've seen them. I know that there are tragic things that happen in the church. I know that, that there are bigots and snobs and uncaring people that are on rolls of churches who I think have been embarrassments to God's cause through the millennia. I'm aware of all that. But I also know this, and you know it too, that the best people in our community are a part of Christ church. I run into them all the time. They are a people who care about their families, who care about their neighbors. They are a people who, 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 who are living out their faith. And they, have, they do it in all kinds of different ways, but they have this thing in common. Either at an altar in the church or an altar of their heart, they had an encounter on the road with Jesus and it changed their lives. Just like Paul. Paul has this encounter and it changes the trajectory of his life. You see, the, the key to making our community better, the key to making our nation better, the key to making our world better 
is that people have an encounter with Jesus Christ that changes the trajectory of their life. There is nothing else that will work. That's how God has chosen to work. He has chosen to turn the world upside down through the church. And the church's work is a serious work, an important work, a challenging work. But here is the crazy part. It's the work that God calls you and I. He doesn't call an organization. He doesn't call the four walls. He calls you and me to be the church. Now, it seems obvious, but if the church is, is to be the means why, of how God is going to choose to turn the world upside down, then it would seem, and if we are the church, that each of us have some part to play in that. If it's not God's plan to just only use celebrities and rocket scientists, but to use ordinary people like you and me, then there must be something for you and I to do. And you say, well, oh, not, not me, Dad. You, you're, you're, really, you're talking about us more corporately, aren't you? You know, kind of together as a group and we'll work together. No, I'm talking about you. If I had the time, I would name each of you individually. I'm talking about you. God has this interesting habit. Maybe you've seen it as we've journeyed from Genesis on. God has this habit of using the least likely people. He has this habit of, of calling them on the people you think, what, what, would, what, what could they do? And yet with God, all things become possible. I want you to look at, look at a person next to you. Go ahead. Look at a person next to you. Look lovingly at them. Look, gaze upon them with great grace. And then say, he's talking to you, buddy. I just want you to not have any doubt, okay? I, I don't want you to think that, no, he's really, you're really talking to the person I'm sitting next to. No, no, I'm talking to you. If God wants to use the church to change the world and you're part of the church, then God wants to use you. We've sat far too long waiting for the person next to us to do it. God has called us to live out a mission, to live out a faith. It was a young Methodist pastor, had a, a two-point circuit in the hills of East Tennessee. That, that means that he, he preached in two different places, in two different churches, that they weren't large enough to support uh, one pastor, and so he would move from one to the other. His, his largest church uh, was at 10 a.m., the service, and they averaged about 70 people. And he would do the 10 a.m. service, and then he would make his way uh, to the other community, and uh, that service was at 1 o'clock, and they averaged four now, the young pastor was a little resentful of the second service, of the four people. He, he'd already gone through his sermon. He, uh, he uh, had polished it off, and he thought the second time, See, you guys, I get to practice in the first service. By the third service, I am really pretty good by the third. We don't have a third, just in case you're curious. He thought, I'm wasting all this time investing in these two old couples. He thought to himself once, he thought maybe I'd be better if I just went down and, and, uh, and put them in my car. Put these two old couples in my car and drove them to the 10 o'clock service. And, and then we could enjoy together. And, and when he thought about that, that's when another old couple showed up. They showed up every once in a while. There, so a lot of times there were six and his car wasn't big enough for six. And then there's the guy on Christmas and Easter. He comes every Christmas and Easter. When he comes, there's seven. One Sunday, he shows up for the one o'clock service. There's a visitor there. There's a man from the community. His name is Claude. He seemed to know who he was in various he'd visited before. And, and um, at the end of the service, the young pastor could see that obviously something had happened with Claude. The service had, had touched Claude in some 
dramatic way. And so the pastor goes back and says, Claude, are you, you okay? Is there, is there anything I can do for you? And Claude squinted his eyes and looked up at that young pastor and said, Preacher, I needed to be here today. That message was for me. And things are going to be different around here. And the pastor really wasn't sure what things are going to be different around here means. Was he going to burn the building down? This is the only way he thought of improving the church himself. Um, what does that mean? He didn't know. He went away. He spent the week and didn't think all that much about it. But the next Sunday morning, he finished his 10 o'clock preaching point and, and he headed off to his 1 o'clock one. And as he pulled up to the church, there were cars everywhere. He, he got out and, and, and there were... There were young people and there were teenagers and there were older folks. And, and he walks into the, to the building and, and in the building they had one of those, those signs that said how many they had in Sunday school. Anybody old enough to remember those signs? You put those numbers up? Yeah, I think we had one when I came here 18 years ago. And, and you know what it said, how many they had in Sunday school? They had 58. Now he was sure they probably had five and somebody had just put the eight up there somewhere. But he looked around, there had been 58 people. Now 58 people isn't a mega crowd unless you're a church of four. And he was overwhelmed. And, and Claude was standing in the door and he said, Claude, what, what, what's going on here? And, and Claude says, well, preacher, he says, I know these hollows better than you do. And so I went up to some of the shut-in folks and some of the older folks and some of the people that I know aren't going to church. And I said to them, you know, I was in church last Sunday and, 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 and God did something to me there and, and I needed it. And, and if I was to come by and pick you up in my station wagon and drive you to church, would you come with me? And he said every so often somebody would say, well, Claude, you don't need to do that. Um, my daughter can drive me down there. My son can drive me. We, we can drive. We'll see you there, Claude. He says, then I went around to the families that had kids, and I said, hey, would you mind if, if I showed up in my station wagon and, and showed up, and could I take your kids to church with me? And he said every once in a while they'd say, oh, Claude, you don't need to do that. We could drive them. We'll drive them there. We'll, 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 we'll meet you there. We'll be there. So 58 people showed up. Well, the new preacher thought, well, this isn't going to last. He was right. They were down two next week, 56. The week after that, they were up to 60. Ten years later, that church averaged 50 people. That church that had averaged four. Most of those four had passed away by then. Fifty people who became part of the church, who became part of the kingdom, because 75-year-old Claude said, God did something in my heart. Let me tell you about it. Would you get in my station wagon and come with me? Oh, Claude, I'll come with you. I wonder how long it had been since somebody had been out. Claude was determined to share the difference that Christ had made in his life. And you see, whether, whether you're the Apostle Paul or you're Claude, or you're the Munsteiner. We are called to live out the mission of Christ where we have been planted. To, to live out that faith. God, God has called the church. That doesn't mean he's called the building. He's called the church. To talk about the difference that Jesus has made in our life and to live that out. Why? Because God chose to do something foolish. God chose to invest the future of the kingdom in people like you and me. And God sends us out to change the world one person at a time.
I guess the question of the morning is simply this. In all of Paul's, in the whole story of Paul, in all the, all the things, I guess the question comes simply down to this. Was God foolish to count on us? Was God foolish to count on that we would be people who live out our faith and not just receive, but be a people to give? Was God foolish when he invested in us and, and gave Christ so that we might have life, abundant life? Was he foolish to think that, that we might not go out and, and, and live out the faith and live out the call? See, to bloom where we're planted, to use the phrase, talk about the difference that he's made in us. Oh, for far too long we have enjoyed the difference, but we haven't gone out and said, let me tell you about the difference that Jesus has made. If I was to bring my station wagon by, could I have a cup of coffee with you and tell you about it? I think the question that we have to examine is just simply this. Was God foolish to count on you? And you know what? That's a question that only you and God can answer. Stand with me, would you? Father, we come to you being humbled by your scripture. That you, the God of, of, the, of the world, of the universe, would invest in us. And God, I guess if, if we're honest, I, I don't think I just speak for myself, I, I, I guess if we're honest, we... We have sometimes been people who have just so enjoyed the gift that you have given to us. And yet, when you put all kinds of people in our pathway, we haven't been people who sit down over coffee and say, let me tell you about the difference that Jesus has made in my life. Paul helps us see that that, that we're called, that, that when we encounter you, we're called to a radical transformation. And we're in fact, uh, Paul's life is lived in prison. Paul gives his, 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 his very life at some point, his very life for the kingdom. Oh God, I hope our folks here today don't hear me to run out and give your life and away in that kind of aspect, but to give, to give our life away to the cause of the kingdom. Lord, help us to be people like Claude who've been transformed by your message and say, things aren't going to be the same anymore. Help us to be a people who recognize that our mission field is right in front of us. You've placed it there. They are the people who are all around us. Help us to be people with courage and love. Help us to be people who live joy. Help us to be people who are so winsome in our life that people look and say, well, sure, Claude, <laughs> tell me about it. God, would you help us to recognize that you want to work through us and in us and you've given us every gift we have. Every individual has every gift here to accomplish the task of your kingdom. God, help me not just to hear that on Sunday morning. Help me not just to point to the person next to me, but help me be the church until all your children find their way home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord bless you as you go. See you at 4 o'clock.